0: Scanning identity authorized. Welcome to the Secret Superhero Club Podcast Network. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the Animation Station Podcast. My name is Josh, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. David Walt. How's it going, David? All right, sir, how you doing? Oh, not bad at all. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, just in case we have some listeners who aren't familiar with what you do?
1: Um, I'm a voice actor primarily, also an ADR director and script writer. Um, as an actor, um, fans probably know me best as Gajio from Fairy Tail, or Tetsu Tetsu from My like, you Hero know, Academia, Honest from Attack on Titan, um, Bulat from Akame Got Kill. As a director, um, I've been working, I spent the last year mostly working on Yaoi and Yuri titles. Uh, directed uh, Love Stage, Hitorijime My Hero, Bloom Into You, now uh, Kase-san and Morning Glories, which just came out on disc. Um, as a script writer, I worked on several of those shows, as well as uh, season two of Diabolic Lovers, uh, Chivalry of a Failed Knight and School Live or School Live. I never got a really th- official answer as to what that title was.
0: I would assume School Live, because School Live just doesn't flow very well. I, yeah, you know, sometimes these titles lose something in translation. <laughs> 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 uh, and you've got uh, Tata Never Falls in Love, correct? correct. Yeah, that's, yes, That's exactly. the new one that's popping up. Right, yeah. right, right. And yes. you, did a, uh, you did a screening of the first couple episodes. We did. Yeah. We screened
1: the first three episodes of that Thursday night. Uh, uh, fairly well attended for Thursday night at a con.
0: Um, yeah, that was, I can't believe I forgot that one. It was uh, such a joy to work on. Well, that was the one that, you know, because, like, that was the, like, I've read that manga. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, they're going to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to have to get high dive so I can check that out. Interestingly,
1: the manga came second.
0: Tata Never really? Falls in
1: Love was an anime before it was anything else. It was not an adaptation from any
0: other source. So I've been reading, a, I've been reading an adaptation of an anime yeah. and not the other way around. Yeah, exactly. It's quite rare. Well, now I feel like neglect. Hey, I mean, okay. I'm here to inform, Josh. <laughs> um, so, so, David, uh, let's just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll you know, just talk, you know, the fun stuff. So how did you get into acting? Oh. I say the fun stuff, and then we, you know, we bring in the the one where we're like, we're gonna deep dive into yeah. David. So, right. yeah, so let let's let's start, start off. Let's let's go back in time. David, you're you're six years old. You've got your little light bright, you know, uh, running around with those oh, on. Knows. Yeah, so. <laughs>
1: Those light brights made me crazy. They came with the sheets, and then you'd do the sheets, and then you had nothing left.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, you could buy more light brights, but like you can't just buy individual light bright pegs. It's Ah, like the seventies. It was an innocent time. Uh, Yeah. No, I mean
1: honestly, I don't think I was ever not an actor. I mean, I think I came out of the womb tap dancing, you know what I mean? It, it was always inevitable. I, I, there, I, I never, there was never anything else that I ever wanted to do or be uh, acting, singing, uh, uh, music, you know, all of these things. These were always my central preoccupations. Um, and I think I always knew what I was going to do. I mean, I started getting involved in performance when I was in kindergarten, you know. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, funny story uh, first grade, when I was in, uh, uh, you know, six years old, as you said, first grade, there was one point toward the end of a class, you know, five minutes to spare, and so students were sort of doing their thing. I was packing up my stuff and singing to myself, which was something I had just discovered. Um, the teacher, who, singing
0: or singing to yourself, singing
1: to myself. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I had not found an audience yet. I was very young. I, I'm pretty sure the teacher was just trying to shut me up. But she said, David, would you like to sing that song for the whole class? So I said, "Mm, absolutely. So I stood up on my chair, and I sang uh, Tomorrow from Annie for the entire class. Well, my teacher uh, didn't want to be outdone, so she said, maybe you'd like to sing it for kindergarten. So I was like, yeah, let's go. So I went and sang it for kindergarten, uh, and then uh, – my former kindergarten teacher from the year before, uh, realized I think that my teacher was trying to shame me and failing miserably. She decided to support uh what I was doing and she started taking me around. I think I spent half the day going around from class to class, lunch rooms, offices, singing tomorrow from Annie. Um by the end of the day I think we all knew where I was headed. That's that's a that's a really good
0: story. Hey. Um It's all
1: coming in the memoirs, yeah. Josh.
0: Oh well that's good. Uh, <laughs> We'll read that, you know, we'll put it...
1: To be published posthumously.
0: Like, like most great memoirs. Well, just
1: to protect the innocent, you know, <laughs> and the guilty.
0: Oh, man. Um, so uh, so you were in acting as uh, a child, so always doing... So you were like a class clown?
1: I was very much a class clown, okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Got in a lot of trouble. I was a, uh, I was a problem child. I was a, a discipline case. I think uh, back then, if they'd been medicating children as much as they are now, I think I'd have been on every pill on the market. Um, instead, I performed. Uh, that was my therapy. So uh, yeah, and then I started getting involved in in, in more class in theater in a more classical sense mm-hmm. when I was about 11 years old. Um, uh, and up to that point, I'd been always in the school choirs and the school plays and stuff like that. And
0: then, Same, yeah, yeah. We did yeah, the yeah. did the school choirs, did the school mm-hmm. plays, did the church choirs, did the church plays, oh, yes. and yes, all yes, that yes. fun stuff.
1: Everywhere I could go. I mean, thankfully, my parents were very supportive of this endeavor. You know, my father, even having been an attorney, um, knew that uh, I was never going to end up a business major. So I think they just embraced it. Um, and they were quite supportive. So I had a lot of opportunities to perform when I was a kid. And, and uh,
0: you know, I never, I, as I said, I never considered doing anything else. So, growing up, did you have any favorite actors or musicals or uh, movies or anything that, like, really spoke to you?
1: You know, I was never much of a musicals guy. I've participated in a lot of them, and I've really enjoyed participating in them from the inside out. But you won't find me, like, attending
0: a performance of Oklahoma. You know, it's just not really my jam. Well, that hurts, because I'm from Oklahoma. Uh, Wait. Well, like, hey, we, uh, we've, we've got the, one of the, like, I think the only state with a Broadway production. Yeah, maybe so, so <laughs> far. Uh, unless you're in town, counts. But... But, uh, uh,
1: Maybe. Yeah, uh, arguably. That's debatable. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, I always, uh, I don't know, I mean, favorite actors, uh, all of them forever. I mean, I think I, I drew inspiration from anything I could see, uh, uh, but I was particularly inspired by Mel Blanc. Um, right around same age, five or six, it dawned on me that there was one guy... Doing the voice of, of Bugs Bunny, Daffy yeah. Duck, Porky Pig, Foghorn Leghorn, you know, Elmer Fudd, Tweety Bird, and Sylvester. Uh, like, and he was amazing. I mean, Mel Blanc was basically like the first well-known, you know, uh, consistently employed voice artist. And he's the best there's ever been. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever gotten any better at it than Mel Blanc was. So he was a huge inspiration. And I always wanted to go into voice acting as well. Of course, in my younger years, I was ready to change the world with theater and be on camera and be all these things. But voice acting just gives, you know, it gives an actor far more flexibility than appearing in theater or, or on camera. Because in, in those cases, you're generally limited by your physical apparatus. You know, like I, it, These days, I will never play a teenager. Occasionally, I can do so as a voice artist. I will probably never be cast in a play as a 90-foot demon lord. But I can do that in the in, in in the vocal booth, you know. So, voice acting's always kind of been my jam.
0: So, any like cartoons or anything that, like like you know, Looney Tunes, oh. but like any 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 other ones that you were like really big on? I mean, I was a Looney Tunes kid, but also I'm a like a superhero
1: fanatic. So I I never missed an episode of Super Friends. Um, those were always, like, you know, I was also a big Hanna-Barbera guy. I liked uh, Birdman well before he got a talk show. Um, I was way into, like, Xandar and the Herculoids, right, and, uh, uh, you know, Space Ghost again before he got before a talk the show. Before yeah. Uh, uh yeah. I mean, I was just – Saturday morning cartoons. Back then, we didn't have children's programming. This is, like, 70s, early 80s. So there was no cartoon network. There wasn't any place for kids to go for kids programming all the time. Mm -hmm. We just had Saturday mornings. So every Saturday morning, I mean, starting at, like, 6 a.m., I was glued to the television watching the whole block until whenever, like, noon or something.
0: Yeah, like, I I grew up in the 90s. Like, I was born in 88. So, like, I was, like, in that nice cusp of we were just starting to Mm -hmm. get, like, these Warner Brothers and Fox and Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And then, you know, Toonami comes in when I'm, like, 10 – yeah. Tsunami pops up and we start getting anime, yeah. and now it's like there's so much. Uh, yeah. Like, so I mean, obviously, when when you were around, like, no anime. Be a couple stuff like you know, maybe some had, Robotech. Or all some I had or was something. Speed Racer. Oh, that was yeah. it.
1: All I knew of anime was Speed Racer, uh, until years later. And well, we, uh, Gachamon, which we were then calling Battle of the Planets. Uh, in a notorious uh, dub attempt uh, which is uh, you can read your history about that but I loved those kids that I loved Battle of the Planet so much I mean it was so my jam Speed Racer, I wasn't as big a fan of. I just, I guess, I was never really into cars. What can yeah. I tell you? Um, and I well, never. Was the, 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 there's that on.
0: one weird thing in Speed Racer where like everything's going super fast, and then like in the the credits, he like flips a car, and the explosion's like right next to him. <laughs> even though it went like thirty feet down the road, it's like I don't, I don't think that works like that. Well, you know, uh, it was an it was an innocent time. Yeah, <laughs> Japanese cars. You know, I mean, you never know. Yeah, it could be weird. Well, the Mach Five could
1: do an awful lot of exactly, stuff. Exactly. Yeah.
0: It was somehow time traveling mm-hmm, the entire time. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, so, uh, I mean, yeah. So, like, when I first started, you know, anime was, you know, really, really niche, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and now you have – you can just go online. You can yeah. go YouTube and find anime. I mean, now like,
1: Netflix is getting yeah, in the exactly, game. Yeah. Amazon, you know, uh, uh, Hulu, all these services are starting to just – I mean, I think it's, it's legitimately gone from, from niche to uh, legitimate medium.
0: Exactly, and we've uh, we've started to get some more stuff from you know, or on the LGBTQ plus um, type of uh, you know type of content, mm-hmm. which we didn't have. We had like Tinchi Muyo and like Sailor Moon, and Sailor Moon they just were like, yeah. oh yeah, kissing. They're they're just cousins. They're just cousins. Don't, don't worry washing. about that. Yeah,
1: we have a word for that in my tribe. <laughs> it's called straight washing. Um, yeah, uh, Japan has been telling these stories for a really mm-hmm. really long time, and. Over here we've been very reticent to adapt them. I mean certainly in the early years we didn't want to do so because although in Japan anime is not a is not a genre, it's a medium. Saying anime in Japan is like saying TV over yeah. here because anime's got everything: horror, suspense, action, comedy, slice of life, uh, horror, everything, everything. Um, Just like TV does here. It's every possible genre. And it's really, you know, like any other other medium, it's got kids programming and then it's got a lot of adult programming. But I think in the early years in the States, we only saw animated content as for kids. So they were reticent to adapt stuff like that for kids because particularly in the 70s and 80s, we figured we had to guard children against the idea that there might be gay people in the world. Um, which is why, uh, uh, you know, the two sailors were cousins and not girlfriends. Um, hopefully, we're a little bit more savvy than that these days, although we're not as far along as I'd like to see us get.
0: I mean, especially in Western animation, I mean, you'll get like little bitty bits here mm-hmm. and there, mm-hmm. but it's never anything like it's not anything like Bloom into You yeah. or anything like that. We've yeah. still yet to have. Yeah, like that, we really. get a little
1: dabble. You know, we got we got Steven Universe. Yeah, um, uh, we've got you know we've got little things going on. It's starting to leak in. It's starting to be undeniable. I mean, people are starting to realize that kids can be gay too. I was one. So um, miraculous this can happen. You know, yeah. you don't turn eighteen and then decide, oh, I must be gay. It's so you know? I
0: got my voter registration. I can smoke. Yeah. You know, the, right, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and because I mean, we have we have a lot of uh, fans and everything who are LGBTQ+. Um, we've got friends, but it's it's definitely one of those like we tried to have like a Pride Month, and we were just looking. We're like, there's so much anime that we can do, and there's like maybe like there's like Steven Universe, and that's it for the Western. Yeah, and it was really really difficult. But I mean, we we did have stuff like um, uh, Beth and Esteban from. Uh, Uh, In a heartbeat, Mm -hmm. they uh, two college students who made a little short film. Um, Oh,
1: that short just knocked me. We had them on, and
0: like we we saw that when they were. I think they did a a little YouTube trailer for it, so we got them on before it released, and we talked with them. Wow, and it was amazing. And then they just did the uh, that uh, for for the Freddie from Mercury project. Uh, Oh, I'm not aware of this. Oh shoot, vamp. I got this. I got this. Um, It it was uh, for one of his. It's for one of his songs. They did like a full, like animated, music video. Wow. Um, Let's see.
1: Yeah, I was really excited for them to see, in a heartbeat, just explode like that. And of course, you know, it was they picked an excellent format. Mm -hmm. I mean, they chose an animated format. But if you're gonna begin that online, like that little four-minute or so block of animation is that's like that's a that's a perfect you know that's a perfect way to sort of introduce a revolution like that it was somewhere around the same time there was a an artist by the name of alex myung there still is an artist by the name of alex myung but he had done a show uh not a show a short it was like a 23 minute short which he put online called arrival um and uh, you know this this hit a little before in a heartbeat, and it took my breath away. I just thought it was extraordinary and exciting to see. And uh, you know, I was I was a little disappointed in the fact that in a heartbeat exploded the way it did, but Arrival is still largely unknown, and I think it's because it was nearly twenty five minutes long and not as easy to absorb as yeah. like three and a half. But uh, I I ring I ring Alex's bell whenever I can because it's just an extraordinary piece of it.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll check it out because I haven't even heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Arrival, a film by Alex
1: Myung, available on YouTube. Uh,
0: yeah, it was Love Me Like There's No Tomorrow. Oh, and so yeah, they did a whole thing. Like I cried my eyes out. Like oh. yeah, it's it's you know it's his his partner gets AIDS, yeah. and it's just it's sad and touching. It's amazing, and they both worked on it, and oh, it's.
1: They're so gifted. Yeah, I, yeah I'm. I'm. Like, I'm gonna go home and absorb that when Oh I have yeah, to it's yeah, it's
0: definitely one where it's like, I, I saw it and I was like, oh, okay, you know, I was you know at an airport and I'm like, oh, i just go. Yeah, yeah, uh, just what I needed. Yeah, great. It's like, oh, this is great. I look like a crazy person. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm sitting in LAX and I'm just bawling and it's like, oh yeah, this is this is this, this works well. Josh, I think a lot of people bawl <laughs> in LAX. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, <laughs> different reasons though. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, um, so you you said earlier that you're doing a lot of you know Yaoi and your and everything like that. Is is that what you really want to do now? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got you know you're you're in the final season of Fairy Tale, um, which I think should be. Have you finished uh, recording? I all have of done that? my
1: bit. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, it's coming to. In fact, I think they may have aired the final really already.
0: I'm I mean, I'm not really sure. Hmm. But I think it's happened. Okay. I'm so far. Like I read it. Yeah. No, like yeah. I, it's one of those like I. Anime for me is hard just because I want like all of it right then. So yeah. that's why I think the manga is like way right. easier for me to right, read. Right, right, right. So I can just. Oh, like, you just wait
1: for the whole show to go up and then you just binge the whole but thing. But then,
0: right? you know, I got something like Fairy Tail and you got like 400 episodes and yeah. you're like, yeah, I don't think I can binge 400. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a three week binge. Exactly. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Come out looking like Rip Van Winkle. <laughs> Um so i mean is is that like more of the content that you're wanting to uh like if if you get the
1: opportunity oh I'll, I, yeah i'm 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 eating it up I'll take every bit i can and um you know I'm fighting for it every day I'm trying to get more it's just it's uh, uh you know these uh these bigger companies the ones who are licensing these dubs um they can be difficult to convince uh I think they're largely convinced that uh If they do this stuff, if they market this stuff, they're only marketing it to, you know, 15 to 20 percent of their existing fandom. Although I would go out on a limb and say in anime fandom, I'd say the LGBTQ population is maybe a little closer to 40 or 50 percent. Even still, they're worried about, you know sinking resources in to appeal to a niche yeah. but my argument and it took me four years to get the first one done I, you know love stage was the was the pitch love stage was what i brought to the table and said let me do this and let me show you the potential of this material um and eventually after three four years sentai said yes it took a long time to get there but my contention was you know anime is generally and i think these numbers might be a little they might be skewing a little bit now just because it's become so much more widely available now but it uh, oh, as of a year or two ago um less than 1% of the english speaking population consumes anime on a regular basis right yet 15 to 20% of the english speaking population in fact the global population ascribes to one color or another on the rainbow flag so my contention was we can bring in new audience with material like this. If my tribe knows that someone out there is standing up for them and fighting to tell their stories and fighting to tell them with authenticity and honor, then I know my people will support such an endeavor. I mean, you look at Absolute Vodka, you know, Absolute Vodka was one of the first big uh, liquor purveyors to start Uh, putting ads in in gay publications and they exploded. I mean, you'll find Absolute in the liquor cabinet of virtually every gay person and it's not because it's the best vodka in the world. I mean, it doesn't matter how many flavors Absolute (laughs) comes in. You know, it's not the world's greatest vodka, but what they did was they got ferocious support from from a group of people who generally don't get any support, you know, who are pushed to the sidelines. So, my contention was, if we can start shedding light on this material, then we can bring in a whole new audience. And, you know, the other thing was, I saw it as our responsibility as as, as people who work in the anime industry, because Japan's been telling these stories for decades, but largely we ignore them, yeah. or we do them, and we straight wash them, you know, and... That's a huge disservice. And there's so much material that I know my tribe can relate to. And we need it. We need it. Even now in 2019, we don't have decent representation on television or in film. I mean, we see gay people, but they fit under, even now in 2019, generally we have three archetypes for a gay character in a narrative. They're either the clown... Which is the generally it's usually the super flamboyant character who's just whose job it is just to get laughs. And we're talking about the gay couple on Modern Family, Jack from Will and Grace, you know, ninety percent of everything ever. You then have the gay martyr, which is becoming way more popular now, but they'll write a character who's gay and their whole character arc will just be about gay suffering, you know, not being able to get into the emergency room to see their loved one, or all their all their relationships are tragic and complicated, you know, the gay martyr um, or they get AIDS that was big in the 80s, they get AIDS and they have to live with AIDS, you know uh, the third is the psychopath which is like Javier Bardem in the Bond movie uh, uh, the, the guy in Outlander uh, all the gay characters they've given us so far on Gotham, psychos and it's like, to me, it seems like the writers are having a meeting and they're going, oh, we've got this character who's psycho. How do we make him seem sicker? I know, gay. That's progressive. No, it's not progressive. Yeah. Um,
0: well, it's interesting that you brought Gotham up because like, I thought that was going to be like a really cool twist. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is going to be Penguin? Yeah. Really? That's going to be so – I then had they just,
1: such high hopes. Yeah, it, I had such high hopes, but I'm totally disappointed. Yeah, and I stopped watching it because of that. I just don't. I don't need any more of that in my life. I don't need to see any more of that. So, you know, good luck, Gotham. Godspeed. But well, they're I'm over now. So okay. Well,
0: <laughs> I think they ended last year, so okay. they're like done. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I yeah I was yeah you mentioned that I was just I, I remember being really. Interested. I was like, okay, let's see. They where did this it three goes. times at that time, Josh. They did Penguin, who who basically discovered his
1: crush on another man in the middle of a psychotic break, mm. and then used that crush to murder people. Then you have Barbara and I can't remember the other character's name. I call her Not Catwoman. Yeah, she, uh, <laughs> whatever, those two both girl. like Not Catwoman. Was fresh out of a relationship with her brother, mm-hmm. uh, and Barbara Keene was jilted by the man she loved. So they both decide to turn gay, form a little uh, lesbian posse, and start murdering people. Like, it's this is the twenty first friggin' century, and we need to do better. And anime has been doing better for decades. Yes. I mean, there are problematic tropes in anime. But those land on us differently than they do in Japan. Those are metaphors. Even the, the problematic stuff, like you know, the sort of the non-consensual trope where the assertive male sort of dominates and forces himself on the submissive male until the submissive male is like, "It's what I wanted all along." Like in the last episode, those are metaphors, and they're metaphors for the the the, the self-aware gay person forcing the forcing out the 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 not self-aware gay person um they're problematic metaphors and i think we need new ones but thankfully we're starting to get them we have titles like yuri on ice and bloom Mm -hmm. into you and now given which is just breath have you seen given i've not seen given oh josh oh stop the interview we're watching given um it's, it's breathtaking. And none of those tropes. And I think even Japan is starting to figure out that those tropes aren't working anymore. And, of course, over here in the States, we're terribly triggered by those tropes. So, I mean, this in the age of, of, of all the stuff with Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and Bill Cosby and Me Too and all this sort of – this forced sort of intimacy is coming to light, and it's we all find it very distasteful, and rightfully so. So those metaphors that really come straight from Jean Genet, thats like all the original writers of, of yaoi fiction were mostly women, they were extremely well-educated, and they were reading a lot of Genet, clearly. Well, Genet is one of the archetypal granddaddy gay writers, along with Armistead, Maupin, and guys of that nature. But Genet wrote from life, and he spent a lot of time in prison, being For being gay Among other things So those archetypes that he's using Those metaphors that he's using They're hard on you And there was a purpose for them back in the day But now they land on us differently Because I think we're forcing our way Into a new way of thinking and uh, and I think Japan's getting hip to that, and I think that's directly the reason we have stuff like Yuri on Ice and Bloom Into You and Given. And I can't wait to see what's next. I, there's so many Shonen Eye titles now getting that I'm seeing announcements for anime. Yeah. I, I mean, Love Stage is getting a feature film. After all these years, Love Stage is getting a feature film, so... I think Japan is figuring it out, and I'm really glad to see that.
0: Would you want to go back and tell some of like those more older uh, uh, like gay stories? All like, of that. So it's like, so like Gravitation. Yeah. Like, gravitation comes to mind because I'm like, you got music in Gravitation? Yeah. you got really good relationships with yeah. Gravitation? That would be something – because, I mean, I, I don't think they ever did a dub for it. Or they did. They, they did? There oh, was did a dub for oh. Gravitation.
1: I think it was uh, directed by the name of Joe DiGiorgi who did it, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. I might be wrong about that. We'll have to fact check. Um yeah, there was an old dub of gravitation. Um I, I'd love I mean I'd love to go after something like that. I, I I mean even the more problematic ones I think there's value in. I I I would love to do super lovers. I'd love to do Junjo Romantica I'd love I mean all of them. I think there's value in all of them. And I think um in our adaptations it it just takes a little bit of a shift of the lens to really render those things and make them a little less triggerable than they would be if you know we were watching them in their or- original iteration i mean Jinjo Romantica is full of all the old, it's almost the origin of a lot of the old tropes. You know, the the the, the older man and the younger man. The, mm-hmm. the man of station and the man of no station. The You know, the, the self-aware gay man versus the not yet self-aware gay man being forced out of the closet by this assertive male who's, you know, hits the kabe dan and like, you know, forces him against the wall. Um, again, old metaphors. But those are metaphors that I find valuable because when I was a kid in Texas in the 80s under Reaganomics at the height of the AIDS crisis coming to terms to myself coming to terms with myself as a gay person there was a there was a wiser gay person in me who forced me up against the wall with a cabedon spiritually and said you have got to come to terms so I think there's value in that metaphor nowadays we find it very triggerable and I think there are ways to to make that a little bit more succinct and a little clearer, and make those metaphors resonate a little more as metaphors mm-hmm. for those who are looking for them, you know.
0: Nice. And so, uh, I mean, we are unfortunately we are coming close to time. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, brevity is not my gift, Josh. I'll I talk mean, forever. well, we can. I mean, if you want to. I mean, this is just <laughs> here. We can do. We can do another one. I mean, we can. We can do one. We can talk for hours. Absolutely. Um. So, uh, let's. Uh, what do you? I mean. Wow, words. Um, So Tata Never Falls in Love is coming out on High Dive, correct? It's on High Dive. It's on High Dive. It's all all available, and it's actually on uh, Blu ray as well. It's just hit Blu ray. Oh, really? So, do do they do so? So, I've never used High Dive. Mm -hmm. Um, Do they. Like film the entire thing and then just put it out on kind of like a Netflix-esque thing? It
1: depends. Uh, High Dive does occasionally do what they call a dub cast, which is much like the simul dub that you find on Funimation, oh, funny, yeah. which is, you know, they're basically releasing the show week by week and, you know, fairly close to the Japanese release. Um, I am very glad to say that High Dive has not run full throttle toward that model, because it's it's a very problematic model yeah. it's it's difficult to render something of quality when you yourself as the person writing the dub or directing the dub or acting in the dub have no idea what's going to happen in the next episode Yeah, it's and very and difficult to tell a story when you don't we, know We've where also had
0: like callbacks and stuff like that too because mm-hmm. like we've like i've you know worked with some people at Funimation and like they'll they'll do this and then it's like oh i have a prior engagement i can't for right. one week, and yeah. then you'll have an episode where it's someone completely different yeah. doing a voice, and then they have to go back and redo it, and yeah. you've got to do touch-ups. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah.
1: really problematic, and, and frankly one man's opinion, but I think it's taking us in the wrong direction. So I'm glad to say that High Dive has not embraced that model. Um, they do occasionally. They do some shows that way, and I, you know, it's just you know, one way to stay competitive in the market, yeah. but I think they've wisely chosen not to make that the width and breadth of their entire list of offerings, I I, I think that's, I think that's working against us.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it, it's one of those like we definitely give up you know quality over quantity because mm-hmm. you're like let's just make everything a dub. And it's like yeah. I, I get a Funimation that's good, and you're getting you know all kinds of good stuff, but at the same time it's like. You're also using the same people yeah. in every single well, thing. You know,
1: it gets difficult as a director. You know, when, when you're working on one of these simul dubs, you, you've got such a limited time mm-hmm. to put it together. So directors are going to cast what they know. Yeah. You know, it's harder to run auditions for a week or two and, and hear some new voices. It's harder to take a risk on, a, on an actor you don't know as well. So it's, uh, that's why I say I think the simul dub model is betraying us. And, and I mean, I think it's good to have some stuff offered that way. I think it's great. Um, it's it's interesting, and it keeps people engaged, particularly those who are really hot to see it, like, right now, yeah. as soon as possible. Um, I don't think there are as many of those people as maybe the the studios think there are. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people are waiting until the whole show goes up and up so they can just binge it, which is how everybody watches everything these days. But I am... I'm not in marketing. I'm not in licensing.
0: I I, I don't know how. That's, that's why it. we can talk about exactly. it. That's why we can make all the fun exactly. talk. Exactly. Um, so, David, thanks so much for coming on, man. Um, where can people find you social media wise? I'm on the Twitters and I'm on the Facebooks and I'm on the Instagrams. Uh, uh,
1: most of it is under David Wald VA you know if we just do a search under those terms you will find me and perhaps uh, you know and perhaps a parody account too um, uh,
0: <laughs> if it's still up that week uh, yeah you'll find me on all those uh, I'm easy to reach and we'll put those on our in our show notes so all you have to do is like, click on the show notes and we'll have all of your links there so that way if you want to follow David you just click on those um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh L. Kane on podcast on Instagram at animation station podcast twitter at animate podcast all of our episodes available itunes stitcher podbean google play youtube and on our website animation david thanks again for coming on my pleasure josh thank you no problem so for the animation station podcast i'm josh and i'm dave bye everybody cheers